0: You're listening to hashtag nofilter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. I'm the reality TV junkie, self improvement addict, and host with only the hottest tea spilled fresh all week long. Those balls have gotten you into trouble, though. Oh, you, yeah. they picked us because we're horny. Yeah, right. And right. that's your chronic state. That's what he was <laughs> My life has changed so much that it's almost like a completely different life. From the latest news on the real housewives i'm so happy to be here and engage with you deep dives into celebrity legal scandals and unfiltered combos with your favorite stars i've got you covered and yes i always keep receipts welcome on in welcome on in welcome on in welcome on in everybody and happy new year it is officially we are officially saying goodbye To 2022 and saying hello to 2023. Hopefully you are fully recovered from the holidays and you're ready. Maybe you're nursing a little hangover this week. Maybe you're still in the holiday fog. I don't really know, but I'm just excited to be here with you to kick this off. We are breaking down the Harry and Meghan documentary on Netflix part two. Last week we broke down um, episodes one through three. So today we're going to break down episodes four, five, and six. We will be recapping those in our Zach Pack weekly recaps every Tuesday on YouTube and on Instagram. What's going on? Hi, Endub. Hi, Val Porter. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Aaron D. Hi, Carmen. Hi, Janet. Janet Dudling. Hello, everybody. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. What's going on, girl? What's up? Hi, Liz Vargas. Lauren from Atlanta, Georgia. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Ask Forever. Hopefully you guys are having a good a good day. What did you get in your stocking, Zach? Um, I didn't get anything in my stocking this year. I do the stocking stuffer, so everybody else gets stuff in their stockings, but I did not get anything in my stocking. And if you're alluding to some sort of sexual innuendo, innuendo I have not gotten any of my stocking stuffed at all, to be honest. So... I'm riding solo. I'm riding solo. I'm riding solo. mm mm Hopefully, you guys have gotten stocked with some no-filter wine, though, available at nofilterwine.com. The fizzy white wine is perfect. If you want to cut back some sugar, I always like to say it was a great uh, replacement for New Year's Eve in placement in replacement of champagne. You can get some Liddy City Fizzy White Wine. It is delicious. The rose works just as well. Always available at nofilterwine.com. Hi Adam. Oh, Adam called me a beauty. Oh, hi Adam. Thank you. Uh, Hi Donna Bell. Okay, are you guys? Hi Sarah Bahu. Are you guys excited to break down, I mean, the conclusion of this Meghan and Harry documentary? I really thought that this documentary was a bit insufferable, but we will, let's get into it, right? Let's let's dive into everything Meghan and Harry talked about. So last week, it, we talked about how they met. We talked about, you know, all of the convenient pieces of the puzzle that they left out of their story. We talked about everything from when they met up until... The wedding and obviously their childhood growing up as well. Um, joined right at the sexual innuendo. Welcome in, Mrs. Herx. Break it down. Let's do it. Okay. So starting with episode four, wedding day. Megan's very excited. She wanted a mimosa and a croissant because she's in the UK now, and she wanted all she wanted to listen to was going to the chapel. Go into the chapel and where. Gonna get married, going to the chapel of love. That's interesting because one thing, because remember last week how they left out the part where Meghan Markle was still dating the hot chef Corey when she started seeing Prince Harry. And we just like completely forgot about that. And we told people that Meghan was single and living her hot single summer life. And that wasn't actually the case. Well, if you remember... The Oprah interview. We don't get into the Oprah interview until I think it's episode six of the documentary. However... In the Oprah interview, she tells Oprah that she didn't care about the whole spectacle of the wedding, that the wedding that they ended up doing for the Commonwealth and for the world, because it was televised, that that wedding was just one big show in production that they had to do. She obliged to that wedding, and her and Harry secretly got married a couple days before the actual ceremony, privately, just the two of them. There's no mention of this private ceremony in the documentary at all, even though she told Oprah that that was the real wedding and that was the special. Special wedding even though I believe the minister that like oversaw that ceremony was even kind of like mm, that wasn't a real ceremony either um I don't think he was allowed to say much about it but he seemed to kind of agree with the sentiment that that was a total fake ceremony and it wasn't real um so that was a little interesting but there were people lined up and down the streets anticipating the wedding. They were very excited for the wedding. So it seemed like the Commonwealth really loved them. It seemed like everybody was really excited about this wedding. A lot of people tuned into the wedding. Like I said, the streets were like totally lined with people just eagerly anticipating this this ma- ma- this holy matrimony arrangement that, according to the documentary, everybody in the UK seemed to hate. But so Megan said that the ceremony was stunning and it was so beautiful. Very different from what she told Oprah. Charles walked her down the aisle. She says that her wedding was so fun. There were so many endearing. um, So many endearing parts of the wedding and parts of the ceremony. I actually this is probably one of my favorite parts, aside from, you know, all the the misrepresentations in this and versus the Oprah interview. I would say that this was probably one of my favorite parts of this entire series is seeing their love story. I think that's the most um, interesting part. I think those are the most heartwarming parts where we see them in love. We see them as actual people. We see them as parents later on. All of these little pieces of their relationship humanize them for me, and I actually really enjoyed this. So watching the ceremony, watching her uh, wanting to play, we're going to the chapel and we're going to get married and drinking mimosas and all of that, to me— I enjoyed those parts of the documentary, right? I thought that that was interesting. They get into into Kensington Palace, and they say that the cottage that they lived in on Kensington Palace property, on palace grounds, that it was very small, and that the ceilings were too short for Harry because he was too tall for the ceilings, and he was constantly bumping his head. So they weren't that thrilled with the cottage that they had. Although I did Google Harry's height, Prince Harry, and he's only 6'1". I was thinking the way they described it, it made it seem like he was like six seven. I was like, wow, is Harry really that tall? Can I like climb him like a tree? You can't really, I mean, he's tall. Six one is still tall. It's taller than me. I'm five seven. So, I mean, to me, I would climb that tree. I would climb that ginger tree and pick all the ginger off, you know? Looks delicious, but. <sighs> Hi, my phone always corrects to Z A C H. It drives me nuts. That's okay. I mean, technically, my name is Zachary, Z A C H A R Y. So, Technically, ZACH applies as well. I just prefer ZACK, but they both work. Okay, so had a great wedding. They're complaining about their Kensington Palace place because it's too small. She then gets into her relationship with the queen and she says that she would enjoy having breakfasts with the queen and she loved her time with the queen because she was able to make the queen laugh and they even show a photo of Megan talking to the queen and the queen is laughing and they're like, oh my god, the queen like never laughs so Megan was able to make her laugh because Megan's so great and Megan's amazing. Listen, I thought that it was also endearing that she spoke very highly of the queen and she spoke of the queen as a grandmother figure. She kind of talks about how, you know, she got to see that, like, obviously she has respect for the queen being the queen, but that she also loves that she gets to see the queen as her husband's grandmother, which I thought was interesting. Um, Sarah says, I still don't get I still don't think they got much hate until they started saying that they were hated. I needed clarity on that. I do think they love each other regardless of how they got there. Yes. And I agree with you, Sarah, and we're gonna get into that because that's the crazy part is we keep seeing this juxtaposition and this conflict of narratives of like, oh my God, everybody loved us and embraced us, and oh my God, everybody was so mean to us. And it's like, well, which one is it? Pickling. We'll get into it. But anyway, we see, uh, you know, Megan and the Queen. And then we see this, this moment where they're honoring the victims of the Grenfell Fire, which was a massive fire that happened in London. And Megan claims that she was one of the ones that immediately organized a trip to help the survivors of the fire. And she got Kensington Palace involved. So, again, we're seeing a lot of Megan's philanthropic work, you know, and all the good that Megan does when she lived on Kensington Palace grounds. We see the surviving women that are interviewed. Megan talks about how, you know, You know, she visited them for eight to nine months and helped them launch a cookbook. All very nice. We get lots of Megan doing charity work and lots of how great Megan is with her philanthropic work. Like, we get it every single episode. There's one thing that's guaranteed in every single episode of this docuseries, and it's the Diana comparisons and Megan Markle being a great person. And she's so philanthropic and so charitable. Every single episode. Every episode, we get these two messages that are just shoved down our throat at this point that I'm like, we get it. Meghan Markle is Mother Teresa reincarnated. Like, I don't know who's a better person, Meghan Markle or Jen Shaw. According to them, they're both saints, right? And listen, it's okay to do charity work. It's okay to be philanthropic. I think it's great. I have a background in, in philanthropy and in charity work and, you know, working for nonprofit foundations. I get it. I love it. But my God. Shit, we get it. Also, I'm still confused as to what the documentary series actually is about. Is it about their love story? Is it about racism in the UK? Is it a character piece about Meghan Markle and how great she was growing up and how great of a woman she is today? Is it about Harry and Meghan's exit from the royal family? Because we keep seeing bits and clips of their exit and we see bits and clips of the bullying and the discrimination that they faced that keeps coming up and without any true tie to any of the stories that we're actually getting and this charity work and her relationship with the queen, like it all feels like, okay, so where, why are we complaining? It seems like this is a great gig. You're helping a lot of people. You're doing a lot of good work. We're constantly being shown all of these amazing things that you're doing as the Duchess of Sussex. And now we're seeing how great of a relationship you have with the queen. So we keep getting these conflicting these contrasting narratives, right? It was great and we were philanthropic and it was terrible and we couldn't take it anymore. Then we get into the trip to Australia and how they were so popular and everyone in Australia loved them and that was apparently a problem for the palace. I guess the royals didn't like that Meghan was becoming popular with the people because she's not allowed to become popular and that threatened the royals that were born into this. When I'm like, okay, was she popular or was she the victim of racism? Both? Maybe somewhere in the middle? Where are we going to merge these stories? Because we keep getting this back and forth in these two narratives that aren't adding, they're not making sense together. Thank you. I was so lost with what was supposed to be, what, with what it was supposed to be about and what was the point of this documentary. I agree. Like, it's cute and it had really cute, endearing moments. But again, I'm confused as to what the doc, if it's a documentary, what is it about? Please explain to me what it's about, Harry and Meghan. That's also so vague. Like, what about Harry and Meghan? I would assume it was about Harry and Meghan's love story. And I'll have my theory as to what I think would have really worked with the documentary towards the end, but let's keep going. I guess the royals, they didn't like that Meghan was be- becoming popular because, you know, that that was not cool of her to go and become popular amongst the people. And then again, here we go. We get the Diana BBC interview and we're comparing Diana's trips to Australia with Meghan's trips to Australia and Diana's rising popularity with Meghan's rising popularity. So we keep trying to make this Diana comparison happen. And it, it we do a lot of these like side-by-side comparisons to really na- like drive that narrative home that she was just like Diana and she was getting beaten up in in the press and by the royal family just like Diana. So it feels like we're taking Diana's accounts, though, and we're trying to make them fit with Megan's experience. As we broke down in part one, though, there are many differences between Diana and Megan. Many, many differences. Diana was younger, Megan was older. Diana, you know, came married into the family from a very young age. Megan married into the family, being an American actress and also being a divorcee. Megan, you know, now is currently being described as a royal rock star after their tour in Australia. And then suddenly after their popularity upon their return from Australia, the series focuses on these, these negative headlines that come up about Megan. Again, confused. Were they always receiving this negative press because the last three episodes made it seem like they received this negative press from the beginning? Or are there now negative press stories that are coming forth because now they're becoming popular? Which is it? Pick a lane and drive down that lane so we understand what story we're being taken on. Listen, I I understand if you're kind of just like loosely watching the documentary and you're like, oh, this is cute. Let me watch it while we're cooking dinner. Watch it while we're, you know, I'm, I'm scrolling on TikTok and you're not fully paying attention to it. Then I can get how you can get bought by the con of this documentary, right? Because I tweeted that, that I think the documentary was inseparable and I thought part two was even more insufferable than part one. And one woman was like, oh, my God, how can you think that it's inseparable? inseparable. They're speaking out about racism. And I'm like, but are they... Is that what they're doing? Because I didn't get that. I feel like they were using racism through different parts throughout the documentary. But then we get a lot of Meghan and Harry's love story and their problems with the royals and Harry's trouble growing up with the with the paparazzi and Meghan struggle with the paparazzi now and Meghan being great and Meghan having trouble with her dad and Meghan not trusting the palace and the press hating them and the press loving them and the people hating them and the people loving them and the UK is racist and the UK loves her and is lining up for her wedding. I don't fucking get it. I don't understand the message that we're trying to nail home here. Other than Megan is just like Diana. That's the one message that is abundantly clear, abundantly clear. And that's a great point, Passenger Shaming. Why were they filming themselves? They've been filming themselves since they left the royal family. And I think that was also just very, but I think I, I talked about that in the last part where, um, To me, it felt like they were trying to sell this documentary, so they were taking little bits and pieces to try and craft the documentary because they were always planning on telling their side of the story. Oh, and it feels like they're totally taking literally every single thing they experienced and just throwing it in a pile for us to figure out. Yeah, and we just weave through these bad experiences with these great experiences that just don't add up. They don't make sense together together. Um, they very much contrast each other rather than compliment each other. Okay, so let's get back to it, right? So where was I? Where was I? Okay, so after Australia, they get all these negative headlines. And interesting because I thought that the negative headlines were because the British are racist and, not, and because Meghan was a person of color. And again, very mixed message. Like, are they upset with Meghan because she's a woman of color or are they upset with Meghan because she's threatening the royal family and their popularity? And then when you actually look at the headlines, right, because if you actually pay attention, aside from just reading the parts of the headlines that get highlighted, because, again, if you're not actively paying attention to the documentary, if I was just watching this documentary, you know, as a layman, just kind of like casually watching it, I wouldn't have paid close to. Close attention. But the whole point of our weekly unpacks is to unpack what's being sold to us, right? If you pay attention to these headlines, a lot of them seem like they weren't coming from the UK. But some of these headlines actually seem like they were coming from the US. And then you look at the publications, the National Enquirer. Aren't they the ones that always talk about seeing Bigfoot? closer weekly showbiz cheat sheet like cheat sheet these are hardly like credible like hot. this is not the new york times you know like it, it's not these major publications and they're saying that what like what's the biggest piece of you know inflammatory headline that they're showing us here that megan is a diva behind closed doors how that's hardly inflammatory Saying that she's making diva demands doesn't really seem racially motivated to me. It seems like they're it's scandal related, right? Celebrities cause scandal. And when you say somebody is difficult to work with, when we say Catherine Heigl is a bitch behind the scenes, that's not racially motivated. It's because there are people that are telling stories of their horror story experiences with them. It happens with anybody that's notable in any sort of way. Somebody's always going to have a great experience and somebody's always going to have a negative experience. And if you sell it to a tabloid, they're always going to run the negative experience because it drives more sales and it gets more people hyped up about it. I found it strange that they were filming before they even left the UK. I mean, listen, it's it's a valid point. They were doing it for attention. It was all about look at me. That's what it felt like, Susan. It felt very much like look at us, we're so sad. We had the worst experience ever. We're terrible, you know, or the the royals are terrible and we had a terrible experience. But when it comes to the headlines about her being a diva, that I don't think is racially motivated. I think that's behavioral motivated. And if you remember, there were reports of Megan's staff quitting with quick turnarounds for how long they would last. And there were reports of issues between Megan and Kate. And the issues between Megan and Kate were over Megan's treatment of the staff that they shared together. Then they show us the side-by-side reports comparing Megan to Kate. And Harry says, if you can't see the difference, then I can't help you. So now we're going back to alluding to this being racially motivated and this is racism, right? So please clarify for me, do they not like you because you're of mixed races? Or do they not like you because you're becoming too popular and that threatens the establishment? Or do they not like you, you know, for one of the 10 other reasons that you've given it to us? Like make... Is it a combo of all of them? And if that's the case, then lay out that argument for us, you know? And we talk about how, you know, there are these relentless attacks on one person and you know, there's still relentless attacks, regardless, regardless of the motivation, there are attacks on Megan, and she can't take it anymore. And listen, I agree. And I don't want to act like I'm not empathetic to what she's going through, or that I don't have sympathy, right? But we also have to be clear: this is tabloid culture. This is what the National Enquirer has always done. It's ugly. I don't like it, but it's part of the reason I don't buy or read the National Enquirer. It's a trash tabloid. But that's not unique to Meghan Markle, nor is it unique to her being a woman of color. It's the culture of the tabloids. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Or maybe try to change the game. And maybe that's part of what they're trying to do here. But again, the motivation and what the intention is behind this art, this documentary is not clear. Um, you know, and it... it it just seems like they're not pleased with they're not pleased with the fractions of criticism that they get but it's like that happens to all public figures. I'm not even a real public figure. And, you know, but if I pulled the scathing Apple reviews and posted those and I'm like, look at this is horrible. This is all I get. Or if I pulled out, you know, of all the comments that I get, if I only focused on the mean tweets and the mean comments and completely negated the positive ones, yeah, I could get people to feel bad and feel sorry for me. You know, it's all about the narrative that we try to play and what we we want to highlight. And that's why I find it interesting that when we post these these screenshots of these articles and these headlines, we're very clear of which pieces we want to highlight and which pieces of those articles we completely leave out. Then we get more of the Diana comparison, which also contrasts the racially motivated argument because there was no racial motivation when it came to Diana. So do they hate you like they hated Diana because she was a new woman that came to threaten the establishment? I mean, again, make it make sense. Then Harry and and uh, Meghan's mother discuss Meghan's thoughts of suicide, which, again, my heart breaks for her. I feel for that. I can't imagine the pressure that it takes to be in the royal family, especially being the newbie. Think about it. Anytime you have some sort of already, already established system, group, whatever, anytime a newbie comes in, the newbie always gets the short end of the stick, you know? And I do like that in this piece, we get Harry taking some accountability because he was saying that initially, you know, when Meghan would come to him with some of her concerns, he always looked at it as from a lens of being a member of the royal family rather than looking at it from the lens of being a supportive husband. And he regrets not being there for her more where he was more of like his initial thing was, okay, I get you're not feeling well, but what is it going to look like if we don't show up at this event? Rather than being like, okay, babe, you're not feeling well right now. Let's see what we can do to work on this. Let's see what we can do to help you work through your anxiety right now? Do we need to take the night off? Do we need to get you some help? Like, I like that he took accountability for saying I could have been better to her in these situations, but my head was just in a different space. Because here's the thing, at the end of the day, it's not the establishment's job to make sure Megan's okay, it's her husband's job to make sure that she's okay. And ultimately, it seems like they ended up working out their own stuff and and leaving the establishment and, and prioritizing themselves but you know then we get into Megan saying that she wanted to get help but she wasn't allowed to get help for the optics. We get no more details into this. We don't know what those optics were, what conversations she had, who she was talking to, who told her she wasn't allowed to see a therapist, a psychiatrist, go to therapy. Like what are the details that say that she wasn't allowed to get help? How was it bad for the optics? Like we're able to paint a whole history on why the UK is racist. But yet we're not talking about where she actually wasn't able to get help. We also, they completely cut out the parts where she said that she felt like a prisoner in the palace and she didn't have access to her keys or her passport. Remember, that was part of her narrative before too, and she talked about that with Oprah. That's also completely cut out, and we don't get into that any further either. So we're very convenient about what what didn't work in the Oprah interview and what we're going to sell to people now. Um, He was never seen or witnessed any racial comments nor treatment she had told him she was. I mean, that's. I guess that's another good point, Cheryl. Um, It wasn't a race thing. It's about her character. See, I mean, I think yes we're not trying to negate any of her feelings towards you know feeling like she was being targeted as a woman of color it just contradicts what we got about her upbringing saying she never really identified as a woman of color and she never really looked at her life through a lens of color and now all of a sudden that really has been worked into her identity when she's like a grown woman at this point that how did that how was that never part of your experience growing up and now all of a sudden it's all of your experience and she also says that the UK made this about her race rather than she ever looking at it from that point of view but also then then why make a whole documentary about race I don't know it just it, it's really hard to I want to empathize with her and I want to have deep sympathy for what she's going through but she makes it very challenging um because she says that she wanted to get help. Um, and I don't understand how, like we don't hear therapists, psychiatrists in the UK, in the US, you never hear them outing a celebrity's information. Like it's against the law. They have to keep this stuff confidential. The same way a lawyer isn't gonna out their client's dirty details. There's a, you know, they take an oath to have this, this, um, you know, this, anonymity for you and this privacy that they respect when they take you on as a client. So again, I'm confused as to what the optics were, because we don't hear of therapists and psychiatrists spilling the beans on their clients to the tabloids. So why couldn't we have hired a psychiatrist or a therapist privately that came onto the grounds and was able to visit with Megan privately and help her work through those things? Again, we have no details into any of this other than her saying she wasn't allowed. So they say that the royal family, all that they went through, um, is very similar to, you know, what Meghan claims that she's going through and they all go through stuff like this and they all have to cope with this. So Meghan's not any different, but Meghan and Harry felt that this case was absolutely different. But then apparently Prince Charles told Harry, according to Harry, that the media is the media and you can't start a war with the media. It's the nature of the beast and engaging with them in a war isn't going to end well. It's only going to further exacerbate the situation. So if you're mad about how the media is talking about you, the last thing you're going to do is, is, is uh, fan the flames and piss them off even more. So Harry was upset that they didn't try to squash negative stories about Meghan Honestly, I think it wasn't that deep. I think the palace was like, listen, Harry's the party boy prince. His wife is the newest member of the family. If we're going to cash in our coins, then we'll use them with bigger issues with more like senior members of the family. I don't think they thought about cashing in their coins every single week with every tabloid article that came out about Meghan. They didn't think that that was a worthy exchange. They're going to try to protect the senior members. They would rather protect a bad story about the Queen from coming out rather than Harry's new wife that hasn't even been around for five years. You know what I mean? And I don't think it's personal. I don't think it was racially motivated. I really just think that they were like, she's the newbie on the block. Like, that's not our biggest priority at the moment, you know? I'm pretty sure they weren't even fully in belief that Harry's marriage was going to last that long, considering this is just some American actress, and I'm pretty sure they looked down on her for being an American actress, you know, that is on a television show called Suits. Like, I just, I don't think they took Harry and his marriage all that seriously, you know? So I can see... Harry's frustrations because, yes, this is his wife, but in the grand scheme of the palace, she's just Harry's wife, you know, who also, don't forget, seems to also be getting lots of positive coverage as well. So Harry then accuses Prince William's office of playing games with the press and doing what he refers to as trading, which Harry says that he and his brother swore that they would never do because they're not like their father, which sparked beef with Prince William. And then immediately after shading his father and shading his brother for playing with the press and, you know, using them to their benefit, suddenly, out of the goodness of their hearts, all of Meg- five of Meghan's best friends happen to come together and work out a deal with People magazine to do a character piece on the real Meghan Markle and who Meghan really is, essentially a fluff piece on Meghan to combat all of the negative stories. So it's like you can't be here criticizing your father and your brother for playing these games with the press and trying to work in their good favor while then you have Meghan's friends that are doing this people article. And according to Tom Bauer's book, Meghan was aware of the article and she kind of knew that this was going on, But according to megan she had no clue that her five friends were selling this piece to people magazine then we get on over to the birth of baby archie and they were very unhappy that there were negative stories about the baby shower but they also failed to mention any of the positive coverage that came with the baby shower as well and i believe her publicist helped them get lots of positive coverage for the baby shower it was more of like an influencer event from my understanding of it. And then when it comes to the place of birth, so the royals apparently always use, uh, um, they always give birth at the same hospital and they always do a photo op on the same steps to which Megan did not want to participate in. She didn't want to do that. She wanted to use a different hospital this time around because she said that she was older and she wasn't sure if she was going to need a C-section and she wanted to make sure her doctor was there with her to give her birth because she trusted her doctor. And listen, I get that and I understand. But I I can also see how this made her look like a bit of a diva, right? Remember the earlier articles about her being a diva? I mean, I empathize with you, but you also have to understand, like, generations of women in the royal palace have followed this same protocol for many, many years, right? The press was expecting this, and there was no announcement to a change in that prior to it. And suddenly, Meghan comes in, and she wants to follow a different plan of action. That's not to say that she's not warranted in wanting to do another plan of action, but wanting to change tradition does come off a bit diva-ish to the Commonwealth, you know? I understand her concerns. You have a doctor that you trust. I think that's fair. She seemed willing or she says that she was willing to find a happy medium with the palace. I think that that's good on her. But you also can't fail to realize that when you shake up a longstanding tradition, it will come with a reaction. And that reaction doesn't immediately have to be racially motivated. The reaction could just be because the system is changing and that will be jarring to some people, especially the press. The press loves scandal, so they're going to look for it any chance that they can. That's how they operate. You can't think that you're going to bring radical change to the UK. First of all, the ego to think that you're the one that's going to bring radical change to the UK, because that was definitely a a talking point in the documentary. But you can't think that you're going to come and bring radical change and that it's just going to be widely embraced, especially since you just had Kate and William that followed the same traditions right before you. It's just, it's crazy to me. Amanda, Amanda Moore with the super sticker. Wow, Amanda, thank you, my dear. Charmin BB with the super sticker. You guys are generous tonight. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you and all the love. The, sh- the story has changed three times in three years. Yes, I feel like they try to keep the overarching story consistent, but the details keep changing and we keep adding details and taking out details. And that's where I have a bit of an issue. You don't mess with the family. Never go against the family, as Kris Jenner would say. Um, Amanda, I agree. Zack is amazing. Oh, thank you, Coffee bus. This time around, it was her first baby, and she only lived in London for a year. What long relationship? I mean, that's another great point. I thought about that, and I didn't add that into my notes, but that's a great point. She wasn't even living in London for that long, so this was only her doctor while she was pregnant. Um so the way she made it seems like this was her doctor of many, many years, and this doctor has delivered all eight of her children, and that's why she trusted this doctor so much. So, it's again, it's always a play with the narrative, right? Um, I'm trying to think of who else the press has done this to in the States. Most of the celebs in the 90s and early 20s, the only difference is the race. Yes. I mean, think about it. In the 2000s, Lindsay Lohan, Britney Spears, Paris Hilton, all these white women were getting Beaten up in the press constantly. That's how the tabloids work. They're trash. They've never been good. They've never been of high caliber and high quality. This is what they do and this is how they make money. Perez Hilton was terrible back in the day. The culture is changing now, yes, but it's not going to change overnight. Unfortunately, I'm not condoning it and I'm not saying that it's right, but you know. The English do love their queen and the monarchy and they don't want change. Exactly. And if you're going to change things up, that's not to say that there isn't a need for change because, yes, there is definitely a need for change. But that's not to say that change is going to come easily. There's going to be a reaction to it. There's going to be a response. Oh, my God, the press was horrible to Kate. I mean, I've heard that as well. Again, I didn't follow much of the Kate and and Meghan pregnancies in the UK because I live in the U.S. But, like... I mean, I would imagine that there were also negative things that were also being said about Kate as well. We're just not highlighting those. We're only highlighting the positive stories about Kate and comparing them to the negative stories about Meghan and being like, what's the difference between Kate and Meghan? Mmm, says it right there. I don't know, maybe the fact that she's an American actress and they don't like that she's an American actress because to them, that's very (sighs) lowbrow. Well, England is in America. I agree. Oh my God, the press was horrible to Kate. England isn't Scotland yes they were mean to Kate yeah um okay where was I um I understand Megan's concerns um I get her wanting to protect baby Archie that's her kid and it's her first kid I think it's a bold move to like be like I don't want to show his face and I don't want to do the photo on the steps that's tradition I I get her wanting to protect her baby. Um, I don't hate her for making those moves. She was protecting her baby. But listen, when you make big, bold moves like that, that's going to come with some people being upset because you're changing their tradition and you're shaking things up for what they're used to. And if you change people's traditions and you change what they're used to, they're not always going to be happy about that. And it's going to take them some time to warm up to different ideas. But I think now that Megan has, has shaken things up, this will open the stage for other women to be able to follow in her footsteps and start to make some new traditions and start to change some of those old traditions because we now have somebody that's willing to fight back and willing to want to do something different. But again, that's also going to come with accusations of being a diva. So then we get to the South African tour which is their first tour after baby Archie is born. And I thought that that was wild that they go on tour when the baby's that little. The fact that they're immediately having a baby go on tour and like do all these photo ops and all this stuff, like I couldn't imagine doing that. That's a lot of pressure. So to think that women have been doing this in the royal family for decades, I think is kind of crazy, especially considering that we know that postpartum depression is a real thing. You know, these women really have to power through stuff like this. And like, I can imagine that's tough. Right. So I empathize with Megan here, putting on a brave face and taking that on. And they show, you know, a string of support that she's got online after being so open about the struggle and her pressure of being a new mom. Um again, this isn't really anything unique to Megan because Kate had just done it a couple years prior and women have been doing this in the royal family for tradition for many years, uh, for generations, sorry. So, but then I hate that, like, okay, I get it. Megan's being embraced for being, you know, an open and honest mom that's different. There's a little more transparency. She's being vulnerable with the audience. We like that. But then we get back to them playing clips of the Diana BBC interview and Diana talking about her struggles in the royal family. And I'm like, again, leave Diana alone. You're tarnishing her legacy by continuing to try and compare her to Meghan and by even playing this BBC interview. Like, I understand why Prince William is upset with them using the footage from this interview. Diana was manipulated into giving this interview and she was deceived you know, as to she was led to believe by the reporter that the royal family was plotting against her. And it kind of feels like they they knew that that worked with Diana and it got her to do this interview. So now they're trying to craft that narrative that the royal family was plotting against Meghan as well. And it feels like we're just taking pages out of Diana's book and trying to apply them to Meghan. And I think it it ruins it tarnishes Diana's legacy. Uh, end up says, I mean, I guess I'll be happy for them if they find a community within Hollywood that welcomes them. At least they can ind- be independent from the family. Yes. But then be honest about the reason you want to be independent from the family. Tell us you want to be famous celebrities in Hollywood. And that's why you left. Cause that's the only reason you go to Hollywood and then do a documentary and sign a Netflix deal. Because you want to stay relevant. You want to be in the press. Don't cry and say, We don't want to be in the press. We don't want to be hounded by paparazzis and then move to Hollywood. To me, that doesn't make sense. To me, that's a total contradiction. She could have shared her mental health. uh, She could have shared her mental health with pregnancy, but not before that. Interesting. Yes. Them using that interview was uncomfortable to see. I agree, Aaron. Otherwise, isn't that the reason why Europe and America is different? Um, ooh, sorry, sure. I missed your earlier comment. And hang on with, and hang out with Tyler Perry and Oprah. Okay, Susan, we'll get into Tyler Perry and Oprah next. Okay, so let's move into episode five of the documentary. So we get into the letter that Megan wrote to her father and the press printing parts of it, and she was unhappy with that. Megan initially was afraid that her father's phone had been compromised, so she thought an alternative to reaching him would be to write him a letter somehow the press got a hold of the letter they printed the letter she was upset because she said that this was an invasion of her privacy and she wanted to sue the press she said that uh, their palace press house is one of the ones that encouraged her to write the letter which also isn't entirely true or it's a bit of a half half truth that that leaves out a lot of details and context around that letter because if i remember correctly toms bauer Tom Bauer's book, That We Broke Down Revenge, the book details this incident and clarifies that the letter was actually Megan's choice. They suggested she try to contact her father and make things right with him so that he would stop dragging her in the press. She's the one that chose to write a letter because remember, and she talks about this in the documentary, that her and Harry believed that her father's phone had been compromised and that he, you know, it was no longer him operating his phone. So they're going to write him a handwritten letter anyway. So again, it's very interesting how we leave out the full context and we try to tweak things to craft this narrative, right? She claimed that the press house was giving her the runaround when she wanted to sue the publication. And so she was accusing them now of giving press stories on her in exchange for less favorable stories on other members of the royal family. Goodness, I've never deep dived these two. I think Harry does whatever she wants. Um... Yeah. Uh, yes, Megan to me wants to be famous. I think Harry does whatever she wants. This is so interesting. I mean, it is interesting when you read Tom Bower's book and you get the other side of the story, and now you hear their side of the story. You know, you have to kind of decipher. Okay, well, what's true and what's kind of in the middle, and where do we where do we land with all of this stuff, right? Royals don't like celebrity. Royals don't like celebrity. But Prince Harry and Meghan Markle seem to have become big celebrities. Also, why do they keep using Duke and Duchess of Sussex? I thought they abandoned their title and wanted nothing to do with all of that, but yet they still continue to parade themselves around as the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. But anyway, she gets into her her, the newest claim that that the press house is leaking stories on her to make sure there's more favorable stories about the other members of the family or to take off the heat from them. So she thinks that the letter was leaked by them to avoid a bad story coming out about someone. Who? She doesn't tell us who. Again, a big accusation with no follow-up, no context, no details, no merit to any of the accusation, right? Other than her word. But my thing is, it's like, what was so bad about the letter? I think the letter actually showed good faith of her trying to make things right with her father. Initially, I thought she was the one that leaked the letter because she wanted to win over the press. I didn't think the letter was a bad thing. And listen, I get it. It's an invasion of privacy if that's really the case that someone in the press house leaked the letter. But I genuinely thought that she knew that the letter was going to be leaked. Just like I genuinely thought that she knew that the People article was coming out with her five friends that gave an exclusive about her. It's like these things don't just happen, right? Or do they? I don't know. Maybe. But I mean, I get it. If if it really was leaked and she had no clue, that would be an invasion of privacy but also, there are worse things that have been written about her. Why is her biggest concern to sue over this letter rather than to sue over all of these racist headlines that are out there about her? So if what she's claiming to be true and all of this was just to avoid negative press on someone else, I get why she's upset. But I don't know if I fully believe this narrative either. Apparently, you know, this lawsuit was their first step towards exiting the royal family. The lawsuit also brought lots of negative attention on them and lots more interest from the press, which is what Prince Charles warned Harry about. He's like, listen, if you go after the press, this isn't going to make them talk about you less and it's definitely not going to make them talk about you nicer, right? If anything, they're only going to come at you harder because now you're calling them out. So while I feel for them, it also feels like they're bringing a lot of this stuff onto themselves. And they acknowledge that they knew that this was going to bring negative press. So if you're trying to avoid negative press, why would you do things to continue to fire up the fucking press? This whole documentary series, it feels very dragged out. It feels very woe is me. You know, there were these moments where I really wanted to feel bad for them and they did pull on my heartstrings at times. But then I keep remembering, OK, but we're trying to paint this love story with Harry, but we're forgetting to leave out the fact that she was still dating Chef Corey and still living with Chef Corey at the time that she met Prince Harry. And then, you know, the letter and her saying, well, the, the press house told me to write this letter. No, they told you to make things right with your father and you chose to use the letter because you felt like his phone was compromised. So it's her giving us these half-truths and Harry just kind of co-signing all of this that to me feels like, okay, well, I can't fully believe everything that you're saying because you're not giving us the full story or the full context. So how am I supposed to just believe you? Just read Tom Bauer's book. It was very well written. Yes, Linda, we broke it down in book club a few weeks ago. We went through all of the chapters of it and it was wild. And that's why I'm going through this and I'm like, well, this isn't the full story and there are more details and there's more context here. So, you know, they talk about wanting to move. They say that they want to go live in South Africa, but that doesn't appear to pan out. But then they want, you know, some sort of fusion title that allows them to keep some of the royal duties, but still maintain a private life, which my thought is like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Pick one and stay in that lane, you know. Apparently, Harry told his father that he'd be willing to relinquish their titles if things didn't work out, which to me sounded like they were trying to call the the palace's bluff and they were trying to say, well, we won't be royals if you don't give us what we want. And then the royal palace was like, cool. All right. Bye. So again, they're shaking up this entire system and claiming that they meant no harm and they just want a peaceful life. And it's just like... You can't shake up an entire system and be like, but it's innocent. I'm not going to shake. Why Why are you going to get mad at me? You know? Over 160 watching. Don't forget to hit the like button. Yes, over 160 watching live. Hit the like button, guys. Hit it, hit it, hit it. Get it, get it, get it. And, and throw them hips, girl. If you're enjoying this video, if you think that Megan and Harry, if you think the documentary was insufferable, hit the like button. If you think Megan and Harry are a bit insufferable, hit the like button. If you think we're getting some BS stories in this, hit that like button. I really appreciate Zach breaking it all down. Oh, the Megan drama. I mean, it's just I want there. The hard part is there are so many moments where I want to believe her and there are so many moments where I want to feel for her. But then I'm just like, you keep digging this hole for yourselves, you know? And then all of a sudden, the news of them moving to Canada gets leaked to the press as well. And now Meghan and Harry seem to be alluding that Prince Charles and his team are the ones that are involved in the leaks. They're making the accusation that they think someone close to Prince Charles, if it's not under his thumb directly, someone is leaking all of these details to the press. And this is when they're like, "Okay, well, if these leaks keep happening, then we're going to release our own statement on Instagram, Queen, about our reduced role from the family. And that was like, whoa. And we know that they've done that before. Remember when Meghan had Harry release a a statement condemning the press that we heard about in Tom Bauer's book? So now we have them releasing their own statements again, which also is kind of like a no-no thing to open your own Instagram and like have your own press house, like in-house outside of, you know, the royal palace. I don't know. It was just, again, breaking tradition and then being upset that people are shooken up by it, right? To me, this feels very much like, I don't know if anybody watches the Kardashians. A lot of you are probably gonna roll your eyes, but it feels like when Kourtney Kardashian was complaining about being part of the family's reality show, but yet she still wanted the perks of being a Kardashian and she still wanted the pay of being on the reality show, but she didn't wanna actually show her life on the reality show. It's like, it's wanting your cake and eating it too, and then going and getting the world to try and feel bad for you and crying because your cake is all gone. But forgetting to tell the world that you ate your cake, you can't eat your cake, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And then if you eat your cake, you can't cry and say the cake is gone. Like, that's just not how it works. So then they get into this whole conspiracy theory about the negative social media posts being a target and a strategic plot against Harry and Meghan. And who was it? Is it the Royal Palace? Is it not? I think that the conspiracy theory being worked in here is truly something else. The accusations just get more and more grandiose and more and more dramatic, which makes me believe them less and less. Unfortunately, it continues to undermine their credit or their, you know, the legitimacy of what they're saying. So then we see this scene of them doing meditation together and Harry and Megan are crying together and meditating together feels very performative, feels very much like we're trying to like, let people know this is so hard for us. So we need you to see us crying on camera. Then we get more of their love story and their move because, you know, we need more of that. Right. Um, and listen, like I said, their love story is the most endearing part of all of this. This is why this did not need to be a six-part documentary series. I wish it focused more on their relationship and their love story rather than all these other wild tangents and accusations and conspiracy theories that they throw at us. Even if it was just a 90-minute documentary detailing their relationship. Like, we got a life as a royal wasn't for us, so we wanted a different life for our families, so we left, and now we're even happier that we left. But it's like, we're going to leave, we're going to burn the the U.K. We're gonna burn the palace, we're gonna burn the queen. Well, they didn't really burn the queen, but they burned Prince Charles, Harry's dad, they burned Prince William, Harry's brother. They didn't seem to attack um Kate very much other than showing the side by side comparisons of how Kate got it easy and Megan didn't get it easy, but they don't get into any of the Megan versus Kate stuff, which also makes kind of sense because her narrative is like, I'm about the women and I love the women and all the women, and you know all the women and all the coochies, right? And so we love all the women and we don't fight with other women. And so, you know, and obviously we're not going to come after the queen because she's dead now. And like, we're not going to do, do shots fired at the queen. Thank you, Lauren R for the super stick of my love. I appreciate it. Thank you, my dear. Oh my God. Harry. What? Oh my God. Harry has never done meditation before in his life. I mean, Who knows? Harry has always been rebellious. He probably gets a little bit of a rise out of this. I think he always wanted to leave. I think it was easy for him to leave because he never really liked the royal life and he never knew a way out. And you're right, he was a bit of a rebel. Always has been. So I think she gave him a way out and I think he was actually happy to jump at that and that's why he's so willing to co-sign a lot of this. The trashing of the royal family the lectures on racism in the UK and having the professors come in and lecture to us further, the performative scenes of crying and the, the meditation, these conspiracy theories, the whole woe is me complex. Like, it's all just too much. And what, again, what is it about? Because for a couple that wants privacy, a self-indulgent six-part documentary, documentary series feels like it achieves the opposite result. It does not feel like anything about this screams, I want privacy. Or actually, that's exactly what it feels like. You're screaming at us, telling us, "We, I want privacy. I want privacy. Give us a private life. But it's like you're literally with a blowhorn yelling this at us and having it filmed and broadcast on Netflix. Then we get into the pandemic. And this is probably where we get a little out of touch. Um, so I'm surprised that we showed so much of this. But They talk about how, you know, they were afraid for their lives because now people had caught on and knew where they were living after exiting the royal family. And obviously when they left the royal family, their security was pulled and they were like, oh my God, they pulled security from us and people know where we live and our lives are in danger and people want to kill us. The gays, they're trying to kill me. Which, let's be clear, again, half truth. Security was pulled from them because security is paid for by the commonwealth. If you no longer are, are there to represent the Commonwealth and to work on behalf of the Commonwealth, why should—that's like me saying, you know, President Biden or President Trump, this isn't political, but I'm just using a U.S. example. But that's like saying the President of the United States decides to leave—or actually not even the President. Let's say, you know, one of the royal kids, one of Joe Biden—I don't know his kids' names. Or let's say, I don't know, pick a kid, any kid. One of the royal kids—one of the the White House kids decides they want to leave— and they want to move to Canada, and then they're like, oh, but my dad's still the president, so I want the U.S. to pay for my private security while I live in Canada and no longer want to be part of the White House. No, I don't want my fucking tax dollars going to pain towards your spoiled, entitled ass in Canada. Why am I going to pay for your security? Get a job and pay for your own security. I get it. I would, I would, you know, they don't deserve the security if they're going to pull out of the family the way that they did. Obama, his security is so expensive. Yes, but like they're, oh, well, but he's a past president. Don't we still, I mean, I don't know how it works. But I'm just saying like somebody that decides to leave their duty to their country, to their state, to whatever, they decide to willingly leave they don't get to then just get to keep the perks of something that's paid for by the people that they abandoned and left. That's not how it works. A spokesperson said they didn't say they wanted total privacy. Oh, no, they just want some privacy. So what does that mean? What is some privacy in compared to total privacy? And if you want any privacy, why are you doing a documentary and writing a book and doing a Spotify podcast? Or what happened to Prince Andrew? His security got pulled as well. Yeah, exactly. Hello? Like, why should we pay for this? The people don't want to pay for it. So they're worried and they need to get out of Canada. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. So, of course, when the paparazzi's is hounding you and you don't have security, you're like, I have to leave Canada. So what's the one place you think of going to when you feel like your privacy is being interrupted? oh, okay, let's go to Hollywood. That sounds real safe and real far away from the paparazzi. Then we get into episode six, which is the final episode of the series, and it couldn't have come soon enough. So we open with Tyler Perry and how Tyler Perry rescued the royal refugees and gave them shelter in his Beverly Hills mansion. So Tyler Perry says that he didn't know much about the royals other than Princess Diana's death. And how she was ostracized after she left the royal family. So he's like, I knew that she was ostracized and she died. So, of course, I'm going to give them my security. And I'm going to give them my mansion. And I'm going to make sure that Meghan and Harry feel safe. Because we're in a global pandemic, right? So, you know, why would I? Like, of course, they need shelter. They need to be somewhere safe from this global pandemic. So please come stay at my Beverly Hills mansion. And Meghan and Harry were so glad that they had so much land because if they were going to be stuck, at least they had this oasis to be able to be stuck on. And Harry described this as bliss. And Meghan was just glad that they had an opportunity to live a normal life in a global pandemic. As people literally don't have jobs and are stuck at home in their 500 square foot apartments, Meghan and Harry are like, oh, but we're in bliss in Tyler Perry's mansion and we're away from the rest of the world and we're quarantined and we're respecting the boundaries (sighs) eventually the media finds out about where Meghan and Harry are living after six weeks of living there and it's funny how they didn't blame the royal family for leaking that one but then Meghan complains about how her public lawsuit against the press is now being covered so heavily in the press Which, again, what did you think was going to happen? You are suing the press and you are making accusations against the press. Of course, they're going to cover you even more. And of course, they're not going to say nice things about you because you're suing them. Then we get into Megan's charity work again. Here we go again. Back on the merry-go-round. And we get some cute little family videos. I think the family videos are adorable. These like real family moments, I think humanize them more than these crafty narratives. Again, this really could have just been like a 90 minute special. It did not need to be, Six hours long and six parts. We get more sprinkles of Diana references and how, oh my God, Diana announced her pregnancy on, on Valentine's Day. And what a kowinky dink Harry and Meghan happened to announce their second pregnancy on Valentine's Day as well. What a kowinky dink. We didn't know that that was going to happen, but what a surprise. <sighs> then they get into agreeing to doing the Oprah interview because they wanted to tell their story. This interview was meant to fill in the blanks. So we get some home videos of them watching themselves doing the Oprah interview. And, like, I'm also kind of like, okay, we're getting the Oprah interview. We, we're getting them watching the Oprah interview and reacting to it on their iPhone footage. But, like, you already did the Oprah interview and told your story. Why was there a need to do a six-part documentary on Netflix unless it was for the money and the relevance? Just say, I want to be famous and I want to uh, make money and I want to be a celebrity in L.A. That's all they had to do. We weren't happy with the life of the royal family, so we parted ways and we're much happier now because we want to be famous LA celebrities and we think that being in LA could give us more opportunities to do charity work and we can help more people and we can save the environment and we can save the ozone while we fly around on our private jets all around town because we can't fly on regular planes because we're not regular people. We need to fly on private jets that have a lot of, you know, a lot of damage that they do to the environment. Let's just fly everywhere on a private jet. <sighs> then we get into the backlash from the interview, right? And they're like, oh my God, we we got so much backlash. Can you believe we got backlash? What did you expect? You sued the press and you're mad that they're covering you negatively. You do an Oprah interview where you trash the royal family and you trash the royal establishment and then you're surprised that people are upset about it. I don't get it. Ultimately, Megan ends up winning her lawsuit against the press. The press decides to appeal it. It's unclear whether she wins the appeal or not. I kind of tuned out in parts five and six, and I was kind of like loosely watching it because it became just way too insufferable. Um, So if anybody knows, if anybody cares, as far as I was aware, it was we're on appeal for legal reasons. That's what the press said. The press said we're on appeal for legal reasons. And Megan was fighting them on their appeal. Um, and then it's interesting because Meghan and Harry accuse Prince William of conspiring against them in this appeal because there were some text messages that were leaked where Meghan acknowledges that she was aware of the letter. or she, Sorry, that she was aware that the letter may be leaked to the press at some point. So there's a text message that she sends to Prince William's, I think, like his chief of staff or, or I guess what would be equivalent of his chief of staff, like compared to the chief of staff here in the U.S., but so his right hand man, I get, or when it comes to publicity or press, I don't remember exactly what his role was. But so he used to have that same role that he filled for Harry and Meghan when they were back at um, Kensington Palace when they were living on the grounds. So apparently there's a text message where Megan tells this guy, yes, I'm pretty sure that the letter could at some point be leaked to the press, so I made sure to write it as if, you know, it were going to get leaked to the press. So she had that impression. So they were using that in their appeal and saying, like, listen, she can't say that she didn't want this to leak out in the press because she's admitting here that she actually believed that this at some point would be leaked to the press. So whatever they now live a very happy peaceful life free of the royal family even though they can't shut up about the royal family harry says that sometimes he does miss being part of the royal family he misses the family gatherings he misses the uk he misses a lot of the friends that he had in the uk some of the friends that he's lost at this point but he says ultimately he's outgrown his environment and he's very happy with where he's at in life Listen, by the end of the series, I'm like, look, I'm glad you guys have found peace. Now just go live in that bliss, right? Enough of the royal family, enough of the Brit talk, enough of this war with the media, enough of the war with the family and dragging your brother and dragging your dad. Like if you have a simpler life and you're happy with a simple life, then relish in that. Stay in that, you know? Be happy. Be merry, you know? I think it really—they do have this like "cue us against the world" love story, and I wish that would have been the message that we got in this. But that wasn't what this documentary was about. This documentary was exhausting. It was six hours of just like, oh my god! It makes me want to vomit with how much drama and bullshit. Shit! My gosh! It was just—it was—it was too much for me. It was exhausting, and I was done with it by the end. End up says we are catching up to when I actually started to pay attention. L.A. and the Oprah interview. Ah, just standards. Got it. Um, How much did Oprah pay? They don't disclose that. They don't talk about how much o- they got paid by Oprah. They don't talk about how much they got paid by Netflix to do this documentary. They don't talk about how much they got paid by Spotify to do their podcast deal. None of that gets brought up. Where do they live now? They live somewhere in L.A. I believe they have their own place now. I don't think they're with Tyler Perry anymore. So... I think that this documentary will make will make not possible for the brothers to make up. Oh, no way. I don't feel like they will be making up anytime soon after all of this. Um, they live in a $14 million house with 16 bedrooms. Good for them. In Montecito. That makes sense. I believe that that's what they're doing. Wow, we have 259 watching live. Wow, okay. Hi, guys. Welcome on in. Welcome on in. Cheers. If you guys are enjoying this, please hit the like button and weigh in in the live chat. If you're here, let me know where you're watching in from. Um, Okay, let's go through a couple of your thoughts and comments before we wrap for the night. They live by Oprah. I mean, good for them. Tyler Perry gives them a really great endorsement. He even talks about how they asked him to be the godfather for their baby. Montecito, $14 million house. Yeah. See, we know that. There's no security threat to them there. Why was it such a big deal in Canada? Um, do you know what Megan did to her father? I mean, the, a lot. We get into a lot of that in the Tom Bauer book, where we get a lot of you know his side of the story because he does speak out in the book as well. Um, oh wow, Watch, Sutton from Australia. She's a girl from Scottsdale, Arizona. Recently came across your channel, much love from Canada. Aw, thank you, K-Mar. Did they have a falling out with Tyler Perry? Unclear. I feel like I heard a rumor about this, that they had a falling out with Tyler Perry and that there was some issue with some of Tyler Perry's staff that was taking care of them and that they're just not as close or don't really talk to him anymore. So God bless you, Peter. Sweetie, my name is Zach. Mm -hmm. um uh, but i yeah peter i mean i guess peter kind of works too but please call me zach um call me by my name call me by your name much love from from australia i have so many aussies i love it what did you think of doria i found her cold listen i think doria is like thomas megan's dad she's like thomas fucked up and thomas got kicked out of the family because he was doing all the the ruthless and toothless shit over there in in you know in his little cottage and he was talking to the press and he was staging photo ops and he was trying to make money off of all of this. So Doria is like, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to go with the story that Megan wants me to go with as if I have a gun to my head and I'm just going to live life and I'm going to do me and I'm going to make sure I get invited to all the Royal parties. And I'm going to make sure I come up in that 16 bedroom Montecito house because I want to make sure I get a guest room in there. Like Doria knows how to play the game. Doria was definitely coached. Doria is going to do whatever she's told she's going to be a good mom she's gonna be like Kris Jenner's MJ and she knows better than to mess up she's not going to post a a bad unflattering photo of Meghan Markle the way MJ posted that bad unflattering photo about Chloe remember and then they were trying to remove the photo from the internet and MJ got put in a corner for like two weeks Doria's like that's not going to be me do you think that they'll last I'm thinking they'll divorce in five years as her need for attention finally gets that's a good point Sarah I didn't think that they would divorce I really believe that they're in love I really believe that he loves her so much that he will do anything to keep her and I think she likes that and again she's married to the prince so if they do split and they do break up I don't think it would be anytime soon they have to trash everyone to make themselves look good then you know that they're not yeah I mean, I think that's a really good point. If you have to trash everybody else in order to make yourself look good. Um, I just heard Tyler Perry has signed a big deal with Netflix. Well, that's probably why he's in the documentary. I'm just happy everyone is watching and reporting so I don't have to think so much, Zach. Of course, Cece. Listen, I love doing this. We do this every Tuesday for our Zach Pack Weekly Unpack. Every Tuesday, we unpack something new. We have to decide what we're going to unpack Next week, next Tuesday, is there a documentary that we want to unpack? Is there a new book that we want to unpack? It doesn't seem like there's anything new that's coming out right now. So, I mean, other than like scripted stuff, but we don't want to do scripted. We like to keep it real, reality, celebrity. She loves to shit straight to be relevant. Yeah. I mean, if anything, I think sh- there were ha- like Harry would have to cheat on her in order for her to have a compelling story as to why she had to leave him. YouTube had this in my recommended videos. Wasn't sure what to expect, but okay. I see he's speaking his mind, and it's leaning towards the truth, not their fabricated, woe is me, princess victim. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate that. Please hit the like button if you're enjoying this, and subscribe. We break. We cut through the bullshit. We did the Casey Anthony documentary. We did... Um, House of Hilton was a great book club that we did. I feel like I might want to re-record it, maybe condense it a little shorter and redo House of Hilton and release it like on the podcast or something somewhere. Um, that way it's easier for people to listen to because I just feel like that was a really good one. And I love kind of diving into these and doing a, a myth-busting fact versus fiction. But welcome on in, Ryan. She's a man. Eat it. Make it work hard. Tom Bauer is going to be putting out. A, oh, he's doing another book um a book on doria in january Uh uh-oh that might be kind of fun i don't know if people are as interested in doria people are interested in megan and harry but i feel like the doria book might be a little too niche i really enjoyed watching and listening to you zach hi from texas hi pamela um no we fear the worst uh i'm going to have to go back and watch the the casey anthony documentary episode Yes, we did the full documentary in one, one live stream. That wasn't broken up into two parts. This one's broken up into two parts. This is part two. Last week, we did part one. I found you by watching the House of Hilton streams on YouTube. Yay. Thank you, Patricia. Marielle from Ottawa, Canada. Hey. I want to read the book about Doria. Zach is incredible. Def, go and listen to House of Hilton if you're new. I loved House of Hilton. I think that one was really fun. People, I, That seems to be the most popular one that people really love. It's supposed to be a revised version of Revenge with extra chapters on Doria or something. Ooh, interesting. All right. Or the Paris Hilton documentary and try to relate that back to House of Hilton. Um, I feel like we worked in the Paris documentary when we broke down House of Hilton. So I don't know if there would be too much new. I don't really know. I don't know. She really lied. Doria was absent in her life for about 10 years. Thomas raised her by himself. That was the impression that I got reading Tom Bauer's book was that her father, Thomas, was the one that um, raised her and that Doria was kind of absent for a lot of years. But this documentary on Netflix made it seem like it was the opposite. We totally cut Thomas out from a lot of it and made it seem like she went and lived with Doria her whole upbringing but then it's interesting because then she also talks about no Paris did not get a diamond guys that's a low budget fake rumor Paris Hilton did not get a diamond Paris Hilton is not joining real houses of Beverly Hills like please spread the word if you're screen grabbing this please screen grab this so we can set the record straight and circulate it everywhere Paris Hilton false Paris Hilton is not joining real houses of Beverly Hills she did not get a diamond Paris Hilton will not be do- no contracts for Beverly Hills have gone out Paris Hilton is not going to be on Real Housewives. Paris Hilton will never join Real Housewives. It doesn't make sense that she would be on a reality show with her Aunt Kyle and her Aunt Kyle's friends. Low budget, fake tea. Her announcement is probably going to be some product launch. Paris Hilton is not getting a diamond and is not joining Real Housewives up Beverly Hills. Please spread the word. Um, the Royals have done a rep of cheating. Yeah, I'm sure they have. Paris is too big for that show. Yeah. Like, even Kathy Hilton wasn't really on the show. She was just a friend of, and that blew up in her face. Okay. Let's wrap tonight's uh, tonight's re- recap, our Zach Pack Weekly recap. We're here every Tuesday evening, Tuesdays Pacific, 5.30 Pacific, 9.30 Eastern. So you can come in, join us, have a good time. What if it's Paris NFT trading cards? Probably. Probably. Um, did you see the mess about Juan Dixon? Oh, no. No, I haven't. But DM me, guys. What about Brandy Glanville? I believe Brandy will be joining Beverly Hills. That I do think is true just by the way she's been behaving and the way she's been very coy. And I interviewed Brandy. The interview is going to come out after the new year. It's going to be coming out in January. I interviewed her and I asked her about it. And she was very coy about Housewives, which made me believe that she probably is going to be Returning for sure. So, no, but like I said, no contracts have gone out. Nobody's confirmed for Beverly Hills next season. So, just hang in there, stay tuned, and I will keep you guys posted. So, no low budget tea here. Thanks for joining this week's recap. Let me know what. Other documentaries or books you want us to break down moving forward. Have you done Brandy's books? Yes, we did do Brandy's books. Those were fun. Those were great. I love doing Brandy's books. So much fun hanging out with the Zach Pack. Happy to see so many new names. Please come back. I love all the opinions. Yes, me too. I agree. Thank you guys for joining. Zach, you're always a treat. Thank you, Amber. Okay, guys, I love you. I appreciate you. I will um I'm gonna have to let you go. I'm gonna have a little more wine and have some popcorn because you know that's the perfect Olivia Pope diet. Maybe text my boo. I don't have a boo. I don't really have a boo. But yeah, I will definitely chat with you guys soon. Maybe, maybe I'll do a surprise after party on my personal Instagram account. Because that may be kind of fun. If they lose their titles, what are the chances of her staying with him? Great question. I don't know. Um, If you guys do, I'm... Okay, I think I'm actually gonna do after party. an uh, uh, Instagram after party on my personal Instagram account at Just Plain That doesn't get saved anywhere, so if you're watching this live, you can join that live. We'll do a quick one, like a 15-minute one, just something kind of fun. Since I'm kind of just like chilling and living life. But okay, I love you guys, I appreciate you. Follow me at Just Plain Zach, follow the podcast at No Filter with Zach, and stock up on No Filter Wine at nofilterwine.com. 13% alcohol by volume, but less than a gram of sugar. The I always make it nice, fizzy white wine is great for, um, it's a great substitute for like some champs or just like a yummy fizzy vibe. Okay. Love you. Appreciate you. Talk to you later. Ciao for now, boo.